You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Why don't you find a Bible and uh, open that, please, up to uh, Revelation uh, chapter 3. It's time to wake up, it's time to stand up, and it's time to put our hands up. (laughs) Revelation uh, chapter 3, and um, we're in our series, of course, this is uh, a word for the church. I had a thought that encouraged me uh, this week, and I've heard this before, and some of you have as well, just to hear it again as we uh, think about the church. The church, of course, is not a building. The church is a people, right? The church is made up of the people of God. So we remember this too, loved ones. We don't come to this place to worship. Uh, we are the worship, right? Right? You, me, like those who are saved in Jesus Christ, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. So we gather together, but we bring the worship. So the building is in itself nothing. It's just a gathering place, a structure with a roof over it that kind of holds all of us who are the actual church. Okay, so that's, that's exciting. So again, a point to the church. Go ahead point to the church, if you're saved in Christ, and the people around you are saved in Christ, we are the church. So, so this is a word for the church. The church is people. And here's what we know about people. People don't change. In their sense of people don't change in their need and in their sinfulness and their, I hope, pray, desire to hear what God has to say. So this word for the church then, first century, and the people there as the church, this is the word for us now. Of course, because we are also people making up the church. We need the word as well. So what happens as we get into God's word, uh, God's word tells us that it becomes like a mirror in our lives. This is like a spiritual mirror. And when you look into the spiritual mirror, you see your reflection as God wants to speak to us and show us what we really look like. Now, sometimes we open God's word, right? As individuals, we open God's word, look in the mirror, and we're like, ah, like this, right? Because we see something we don't want to see, our sin, and God's showing us in his love we, we need to change. And other times we look at it and we're like, oh, wow, like I haven't seen that. And, we, and we're so encouraged by that in that sense too. But right now, this is um, a spiritual mirror being held up for the church uh, uh, in Sardis and the church in Oakville as well. Okay, so I want to get, get your mirrors ready, okay? This is, this is your spiritual mirror. Understand that, okay? And, and we're going to look into the mirror today again, and because we're people and we're the church, uh, we need this mirror as well. And, and God's going to use that to show us our reflection, listen, as individuals, as couples, and as a church. It's, it's all happening. Uh, the Holy Spirit does all of this as his word is preached. We hear a message, our family hears a message, and the church hears a message. And it's a mirror to all of us in that way. So Revelation uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. I'm going to read that, I'm going to pray. And then we're going we're gonna to jump in, okay? Revelation 3, verse 1 says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, uh, The words of him... Uh, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Jesus says, I know, every letter he says this, I know, I know, I know everything. I see everything. There's nothing beyond me. There's no person that can hide from me. There's no church that can get away from my vision and glance. Um, I see everything. I see everything. That's an awesome thought, isn't it? Uh, Jesus says, I know. Um, I know your works. He says, you have the reputation of being alive, church of Sardis. But in reality, he says, you are dead. Wow. And he says this, wake up then, wake up. Wake up, wake up, wake up, all you sleepers, and strengthen what remains and is about to die. So, so there's some there left uh, uh, saving and, and worth using. 
For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Uh, Translation, this was a form of religion. There was no relationship. We'll get to that. Verse 3. Remember then. So what do we do? Remember then. Remember then. Sit up. Stand up. uh, What you've received and heard. And now uh, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour I will come against you. That's a very stern and important warning. In verse 4, though, listen to the hope here. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not sold their garments, people who have not found themselves capitulating to sin entirely and are not dead. Um, and they will walk with me in white. Wow. Uh, for they are worthy. Verse 5, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Listen to this. Jesus says, and I will confess his name before my Father and the angels. And of course, verse 6, the way every letter to the seven churches ends. He who has an ear, let him hear. Oh God, give us ears to hear. What the Spirit, what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Let's pray. So Father, you're command there of those who hear to hear the Spirit says we say yes you see keep saying this Lord every letter you keep saying this because you mean what you're saying and I pray Lord there are children here today who hear your voice well God I pray there are women here today who hear your voice I pray there are men here today that hear your voice of waking up waking up Lord there are some here right now who are spiritually dead that's just a fact and you know they might have a reputation of being alive But the reality is, Lord, they are not. And you know. I don't know, but you know. And I pray then you would speak and you would call forth life. Lord, our culture and our world, our nation is so in danger. So many ministries and churches have reputations. And yet, Lord, in reality, they're not good. They're on ICU, life support. Please, Lord, let your word be heard and let your glory be seen. Today and now, in Jesus' name, Amen. So Revelation chapter 3, our sermon title today is this, A Letter to the Spiritually Dead. How's that for encouraging? Hey, how's it going? A Letter to the Spiritually Dead. Thanks. That's really encouraging. Yep, but it's true. It's true right here in this letter. This is what's happening in the church of Sardis. And so we take that and we look at that and we say, okay, we need to learn from this. We need to be warned by this. We need to apply this. We're going to do our best by God's help to see it. So the church of Ephesus, lacking love, The church of Smyrna, suffering. The church of Pergamum, false teaching seeping in. The church of Thyatira, sexual sin was uh, causing havoc and, and destruction. And now we see this, the church of Sardis. None of these things are mentioned. It was a church that appeared to be alive, but in reality, Jesus says it was dead. Fascinating. It's fascinating to reflect upon. And that's what we're going to do. So let's start with verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write. Now, Sardis uh, was a city where um, its best days were in the rearview mirror. Um, It was a city, though, that had a lot of wealth. It was well positioned on a trade route, so it had uh, strategic geographical location. Um, Sardis, interesting, this very, Sardis was the first place in Asia Minor to have coinage minted. The first place in Asia Minor where coins were uh, used and formed. So this was, in some ways, the beginning of modern money. 
One commentator says this, Sardis was the place where modern money, as we would know it as coins, uh, was born. Fascinating. So notice this too. So the, the place where modern money was born, and Sardis was also known as a place of luxury, uh, softness, ease, uh, comfort, um, apathy, luxury, and self-indulgence. So this is very important for our context today. You have a church that at one time was thriving, but is now struggling to have any kind of spiritual life, and the context is they had such ease and luxury. Here's what William Barclay said about the context of Sardis. He says this, this great characteristic of Sardis was that even on pagan lips, okay, so this isn't a spiritual commentary, it's a practical commentary, Sardis was a name of contempt. Why? Its people were notoriously loose living, notoriously pleasure-seeking, and notoriously uh, lovers of luxury. Sardis uh, was a city um, of decadence. And that's so fascinating as we look at that, as we understand that, and to see the spiritual problems that Sardis had. What we're learning here, materialism is one of the single greatest killers of spiritual passion and spiritual vitality uh, and spiritual life within our lives and within the church. So with this context, look at what Jesus now says in verse 1. He says, The words of him who has the seven stars or seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now the seven spirits of God is what? The seven spirits of God is uh, the Holy Spirit. Seven is a number um, indicating fullness or completeness. So let's be sure of this. As Jesus says, uh, the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God, indicating the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There is no church apart from the Holy Spirit. There's no church. The church doesn't, doesn't, doesn't exist apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I love the Holy Spirit. We are to worship the third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Remember, loved ones, too, the Holy Spirit, he is not an it. He's a he. It's a person. He's a person. He is to be seen as a person, again, of the Trinity. We worship him. We love him. We long for him. The Holy Spirit is the one who creates life in the church. The Holy Spirit is the one who renews life in the, in the church. The Holy Spirit is the one who causes someone to be born again, to go from death to life. The Holy Spirit comes and live, lives within that person and makes them a new creation. And Sardis, we will learn, it was a church that was dead. But listen, listen, there's no church that the Holy Spirit cannot make alive again. There's no church beyond the saving power of God, uh, the Spirit, as the Holy Spirit decides to move at the direction of the Father and the Son. Remember, remember, the church began at Pentecost. And Pentecost was the giving of the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So as a church, we, we long for, our dependence is upon the Holy Spirit of God. It's so important because our sin grieves the Spirit of God. And so our sin then weakens his power. We begin to lose his power and in some forms his life within us. And in the church as a whole, 
When apathy sets in and sin sets in, the Spirit of God gets grieved. But that's why repentance invites him back in fullness and ushers his power in again upon the life of the church. Oh, remember this. We are entering into Sardis here, into the dead church, into the dead church. But there's, there's one who makes alive, and he's the Holy Spirit of God. How much do you and I think about the Holy Spirit? How much do you and I, we live in a world of pragmatism, man. And we're in a culture right now where the church is so tempted with so much pragmatism, there's no need for the Holy Spirit. Like that one book that said, the title was The Forgotten God. Meaning we talk about the Father and Son, but often in the church there's no understanding, recognition, or dependence upon the actual third person, the Trinity himself, and the role of the Holy Spirit in your life and mine. We desperately, nothing takes place with the power of the Holy Spirit. What are the signs that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives? Here's a list we've used many times. I love this so much. Here are some signs that, that we are being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I just, I encourage you just to look at this and then look at your life. When God's Spirit is filling us, all of these won't be happening every time, but this is, this is the desire. This is what He does in us. There's a greater love and intimacy with God. There's this flatter love for the Lord. There's an exaltation of Jesus as God the Son and Savior. We love the gospel. It's not about us, it's about him. The Spirit of God leads us to do that. There's power and boldness to witness and to preach. We, we find his strength. There's wisdom and faith. The Spirit of God fills us. We have wisdom. We have faith. There's deep joy. I mean, this is, this in itself, just, 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 just to sit on that. And often, see, in singing and worship, the Spirit of God leads us to a sense of joy where we can't help but sing. There's release of spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit gives gifts, Him alone. The Holy Spirit's the one who, who decides and gives the gifts that are found within individuals in the church. Victory over sin and temptation. Again, it's not by trying harder. We build fences, that's helpful, but at the end of the day, the Spirit of God within us, allowing us to see the power of Christ and worship, He gives us victory, effectiveness and power and prayer. We don't want to pray. And God, please, would you give me the strength and the grace and the longing to pray as I, as I move forward by faith and obedience right now. But the Spirit of God does this in me. A quiet confidence during opposition. And Satan comes in. The Spirit of God, though, comes and says, I'm with you. I'm with you. I will not leave you. Jesus loves you. And you will find yourself able to, to continue to go deeper trust in the, in the scriptures. As the, when, you're, when you're reading God's word, and then all of a sudden the truth leaps off the page and the illuminate. It's all by the Spirit of God. We are filled by God's Spirit. This happens a renewed zeal for evangelism. This isn't just for me. This isn't just for us. This is, this is for the world that is lost. The Spirit of God gives a fresh love of Christ in others. I can't ultimately love my wife the way I'm supposed to apart from the Lord. I can't love my neighbor. I can't love the lost apart from the power of God working in my life. I just encourage you, just look at this list, and I pray that as you look at it, as I do, I long, I just long for this to be seen. But this is, only, this is only happening by the power of the Holy Spirit, the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God. And I just say gently but pastorally and lovingly, if you're looking at that list and you can't check off one. If you're honest, it's a great opportunity for a real hard examination and gut check to say, do I really know the Lord? The Bible tells us to examine ourselves to see whether or not we are in the faith. And I'm not saying these things are happening in my life all the time. I'm just saying though, I'm going to be able to see the Lord working. This is who the Holy Spirit is in our lives. This is what he desires to be, who he desires to be and what he desires to do. And then Jesus says, look back at our text in verse 1, Jesus 
says, and he holds the seven stars, which are the, we've learned this in week one, the angels are the messengers of the churches. So Jesus controls the Holy Spirit and he holds the churches. He, he holds the messengers and the churches. Jesus will decide what is needed. I love these little introductions. Honestly, they're some of my favorite parts of these letters. I just, I love them so much. The glory of Jesus, who he is, what he wants to do. So beautiful. But now we come to the letter specifically to Sardis. Jesus will now address two specific people in two very specific ways. The first group of people that Jesus now addresses, uh, we're going to call it this in, in point one, it's this. It's those who appear to be alive but are actually dead. So Jesus, he says, okay, now I know your works, and I'm going to address the first group of people. I'm going to address the people who appear. They have a reputation of being alive, but in reality, uh, they are dead. Look at verse 1, the end of verse 1. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, uh, but you are uh, dead. So this is where the church of Sardis is just like the city of Sardis. They were relying on a glorious past to try to be the reality for their present. But what happened is, if we only rely on the past, then we can be tempted to ignore the present reality. Notice there was an appearance of life. There was a reputation. People were talking about life in Sardis, in the church. There seemed to be vitality, but in spiritual reality, this is what's so amazing. In spiritual reality, the church was dead. Uh, Vance Havner said, I mean, every spiritual ministry, there are four stages. Every spiritual ministry. Uh, there's, there's the man that leads to the movement, that leads to the machine, and then it becomes a monument. Sardis was a monument now. It began with men uh, thriving. It became a movement at some level. Uh, it can drop into a machine to start going through the motions and the next generation isn't picking up the vitality of where the church began. And if it's not careful, the machine will turn into a monument where all it is is a memory. And this is Sardis. There's, there's much here for us to reflect upon right here. The church at Sardis surrounded by ease and comfort and, and luxury. The opposition to the church in Sardis, from what we can tell, was minimal. It wasn't a high cost for following Christ. So the church was relaxed, content, apathetic. But listen, listen, the church was, church was dead. And this is why complacency and, and lethargy are so dangerous. It's when the enemy will do his greatest harm. See, see, persecution and cost, we've been learning the last several months, persecution is very helpful for the church because it keeps us alert and you can feel the pain and so you're so aware of what's happening. What happens though, when the church kind of moves into this ease, luxurious, content, lying on our spiritual sofas, drinking our spiritual drinks, sitting back and being, oh, everything's so good and just kind of, there's no sense of danger or opposition. We can get lulled to sleep and that's when the enemy will often just open the door and creep in unnoticed and begin to sow all these seeds of apathy, of lethargy, of killing spiritual passion, of division, of, listen, of deadness. And this is what has happened within the church of Sardis. But don't get me wrong, I'm sure the church in Sardis, they had, they had, they had lots of nice people. They had a friendly environment, I'm sure. There are lots of good people you know, like, like a strong community of some level. Lots of, lots of great people. But the question is, but were they actually people who were alive? That's such a great question for our day as well. You know, how many ministries and reputations in our day 
have a reputation of life. Doing good, man. The world loves them. Lots of tolerance. Good acts in the community. But the question is, are they alive in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Ministries that have no friction or persecution of any kind. If our lives never have any friction because of our love for Jesus Christ with the world, that's not a good sign. Jesus says, woe to you and all people think well of you. A life that's truly growing in Jesus Christ is a life that at at times must encounter difficulty and opposition because truth is exclusive and the love of Christ isn't always wanted by other people. And the church of Sardis seemingly just kind of going along. He's like, yeah, you got a reputation of being alive, but the reality is Jesus says, I'm pronouncing you dead. But again, reputation, life, activity, busyness, fruit, but the Lord knows the truth. Now listen, listen, as bad as this appeared to be, this was not a church without hope. It was not a church without hope. There was still opportunity, but three things from our text here, verses two to three, uh, needed to happen. They'll be on the screen for you here. Three things that needed to happen for this church. The first thing was this, uh, they needed to wake up. The church in Sardis, they needed to wake up, all right? So look at verse two, verse two. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Wake up and know strengthen what remains. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your worst complete in the sight of my God. Okay, so, so it was late for the church of Sardis, but we're learning here, not too late. They were sleeping, spiritual coma, but it wasn't too late that something still couldn't be done. But the first step is you gotta wake up. You gotta wake up. It was fascinating to know that the city of Sardis was located uh, 1,500 feet above the main roads. And it had such powerful and impressive natural fortifications that it made the city feel like no one could ever penetrate its, its, its walls. And one of the reasons was this. They had this kind of sheer-faced rock cliff on one of the edges that, that surely no army could ever climb up and get in. So it, it gave them such a sense of security. But the story goes, the story goes, is that as the city of Sardis relaxed on this particular one front of their city, because no one could ever climb up this, no army could ever scale these walls. There was some soldier there from Sardis who was standing guard on some level. He dropped his helmet, and his helmet falls down the cliff. And it went, it went just far enough that he was able to walk down this hidden trail, retrieve his helmet, and then walk back up and stand at his post again. The thing he didn't realize, there was uh, a member from the army that was trying to attack them was down below and watched this scene unfold. And so the enemy was watching this guy drop his helmet, and he noticed that he was following this trail. And you couldn't see it from where you were, but all of a sudden he realized, wait, there is a way up. And so he waited till the guy went back up and he started to find his way up this route and a bunch of his soldiers went with them and because Sardis became so apathetic and confident, they left this place completely unguarded and the people walked in, they found a way in, they opened the front gates and they were completely destroyed. Apparently that happened twice in some form uh, hundreds of years uh, before Christ was even there. See, so it's no coincidence that when Jesus is writing this letter to the church of Sardis, and they have this in their, I mean, this would be, this, this story would be told over and over and over again. It seems, don't fall asleep, man. Do not fall asleep and lose your guard, because when you don't realize it, man, the enemy will seep in. Oh, Sardis, you gotta wake up. You gotta wake up. You gotta recognize where you're headed. You gotta realize what's at stake. 
He can't neglect any longer what matters. Notice, notice the works of Sardis were not complete, it says, verses 2 and 3. Now, why does it say that? They were filled with a sense of religion, but there was no relationship. Um, they were going through the motions. I wonder, this context of this letter is for the church, but within the church, it's made up of people. So I apply it to people here right now. I apply it to our church right now. I apply it to the, the churches listening right now. I wonder who here today needs to wake up. Who here today honestly has a reputation of being alive, but in reality, but in reality may not be. There's people here, come to church, sit up, stand up, sit up, stand up, do your thing, maybe know some verses, maybe serve in some capacity, trying to do some good deeds, look the part, have a reputation of being alive, but in reality the Lord knows, but Unless there's the gospel of Jesus Christ by grace through faith, it just can't be religion. It just can't. You know religion is not Christianity, right? Religion is about what you do. Christianity is what's been done. Christianity, Jesus Christ has done it all. So religion, religion is false. Religion doesn't get you into heaven because religion is about what I do and you do. Christianity is what Jesus Christ has done everything. And maybe you're here right now, man, and playing a part. I attend church. I do this. I, I, again, I sing some songs, but in reality, there's no life in here. And the first step is to understanding, wait, am I really? Now, am I asking you to doubt your salvation? No, I'm not asking you to doubt your salvation. But again, I am asking you to do what the Bible says. Examine, examine yourself to see whether or not you are in the faith. And the church as a whole needs to do that as well. The church as a whole, this is, this is the necessary step of examining where we are because we are always only a few steps away of us being the very thing that we're reading about right now. Are we alive? Is there fruit? Is there worship? Is there conviction? Is there love? Is there growth? I'm not talking like we're rocking it for Jesus all the time, but is there just a semblance of the life of Christ within us? No wonder Jesus says in Matthew 7, and I read even today in Luke 13, almost the same text, many will come up to Jesus at the end, and Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. What? But Jesus, we prophesied, we cast out demons, we did good deeds in your name. Depart from me, you workers of evil. I never knew you. What is Jesus describing right there? He's describing the people who think they're alive, but in reality, they're dead. They're dead because they've never had a true relationship with Jesus Christ. The greatest act of love that God could give you today and through me right now is to look you in the eyes for the people that are here and say, how do you know you're truly alive in Jesus Christ? He brings assurance he brings assurance that we know he has done it and we have been saved by grace and through faith. They needed to wake up. Wake up, church. Wake up. And then they need to do this. They need to sit up. They needed to sit up. Look at verse 3. It says, remember then what you have received and heard okay so the church at sardis now is commanded to preach the word and keep the truth now how do you preach the word and keep the truth it's by remembering first of all what is true so sardis sardis sit up and remember what does god work in 
You have drifted from the things of God. God works in his word. God works in worship of the son. God works in prayer. God works in dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit. God works in his glory. God doesn't work through programs. God doesn't work through just ministry, second ministry. God doesn't work through our deeds. God works through himself. Hey, Sardis, sit up and remember what you have heard and learned. Remember the gospel? It's the gospel that's the power of God. It's not your little fun activities of socializing. It's the gospel. It's the glory of God. It's him. He. He's the one. Remember the truth from where you've learned it. Remember, sit up. But when you're sleeping, when you're sleeping and snoring away in church the whole time, and the church is oblivious to the word. See, if you close the word, man, if you close the word, you're going to fall asleep. And if you fall asleep, it's kind of hard to sit up. You ever tried to read your Bibles? You're lying down on your pillow? It's pretty tough, right? You fall asleep. And the church that's doing that, I don't like your chances. Wake up and sit up. Wake up and sit up and remember God's written a book. Remember, he's the God of strength. Remember, I can only be saved through him. Remember, his ways work. Remember, we can't do without him. Wake up and sit up. And some of us, God is asking us to sit up. Because he wants to save us. He wants us to see the Lord. And how many churches in ministry in our day right now, man, they've been slowly slouching and slowly reclining just a little bit more. And it won't be long till the eyes go closed and the snores begin. Because they've drifted. And we know, we know what that's like. And again, the context of the church, church fired up one time, fired up, man, following the Lord, and then casually begins to drift away from the center and the power of the Lord and starts focusing on the good but not the best. And then all of a sudden, the horizontal kicks in, all the man-centered varieties and all the things that, again, seemingly are nice, want to care for people and do good things for the people. But then we just left God behind because God isn't into man-centered ministry. God is into the things that he says are most important. Him. Him. But you've got to wake up and sit up if you're going to be able to do this. Thirdly, they needed to fess up. They needed to confess. They needed, they needed to repent. Again, look at, look at verse 3. It says, keep it and repent. Keep the things you have heard and learned. The gospel, the word of God, the power of God's spirit. Keep it and repent. Now, if, you, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. So, when a church or a person for the first time sees who they have not been alive, when, when we see, when, when the church recognizes, wait, I have not been alive, and then you see where you're headed towards death, what happens? Well, you repent. Because you, for the first time, you're like, I don't want to die. I want life in Jesus Christ. And I realize, wait, I, I, I have been dead. I want to be alive. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, save me, save me, save me, save me, save me. Forgive my sins, forgive my sins, forgive my sins. When you see the sin that has been blinding you for so many years, then you hate the apathy that has enslaved you. You love the Christ who can save you. But notice what's, 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 what's happening here. The danger is you gotta, you gotta wake up and sit up and fess up or else you're not going up. Because Jesus says, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour I will come against you. These are words we cannot take lightly. If the church of Sardis uh, would not wake up, sit up, and fess up, they would be no more. If they did not wake up, they would be no more. I read a story this week of a pastor who 
placed a sign outside of the church, and the sign said, this church will either have a revival or a funeral. And isn't that true? This is Sardis. There's really two options, right? And for so many ministries and churches, there's really two options. They will either have a revival or they will have a funeral. This is why this is such a word for the church. This is why Jesus says what he says. Lord, help us collectively, but help people specifically today wake up, sit up, fess up, that we might go up, that we might be with you. So Jesus speaks to those who have a reputation of being alive, but are actually dead. And now he does this. Point number two, he, he speaks to the group of people that are alive and that will walk with him into glory. So look at verse four now. Verse four says, yeah, you still have a few names in Sardis. So this is, this is pretty neat, okay? So Jesus sees everything. He sees how bad it is. He sees the spiritual coma the church is in. But now he says, yet yeah, you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not sold their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Okay, so what we learn here is although Sardis was dead, there were a few that remained who had life. Now, oh no, know this. Where there is life, there's always hope, right? Right? Wherever there's life, there's always hope. Now think of what the first church began with. You had Peter, Peter and the boys, a couple of fishermen, tax collectors, seemingly nothing, right? But they had life in the Holy Spirit. And then listen, we're a result. We are a result of the faith of a few 2,000 years ago who are filled with God's Spirit and believed in the multiplication that happened from that, which is so awesome and so awesome. Where there's life, there's hope. Reminds me of the story of our church. Of our church in the beginning, we were a core group, Harvest Bible Chapel, at that time GTA West, 60, 70 people. And then we came together with the people, the wonderful people of Calvary Baptist Church who had maybe 100, 100 or so people there. Now I'm not saying, okay, hear me, I'm not saying that Calvary Baptist Church was Sardis. What I'm saying right now is that they were in a tough spot. And they were literally a few months away from having to close their doors financially, not being able to exist. But what happened is what you had in Calvary Baptist Church was a few that remained that were so faithful. And hundreds were there in previous years and they were down to what they were down to. But you had people who loved Jesus Christ and loved the Lord and they believed God wasn't done with them yet. And to see that story unfold, you have the faith of a few. And God says, when there's a faith of a few, I'll do great things. And what happened, they believed in the Lord and they trusted him and they were joined together with this church plant here that was seeking to see momentum build. And then you know what happened? You know what happened from that point of the people who believed in what Jesus Christ could do with their faith and the beauty of God work? You know what happened after that? This happened. Like everything you're seeing right now, that's what happened. That's awesome. Listen, love them. Where there's life, there's hope. And you can look back. I mean, just, 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 just think about it. So we get, we get together in 2003, 2004. It's about 200 people when we started. And just think, one service, two service, three service, four service, overflow, new building. One service, three services. Here we are talking about all this kind of stuff. Hundreds and hundreds of people baptized. Hundreds and hundreds of people saved. All these lives being transformed. And it all began, it all began seemingly with a situation the world would look at and say there's no hope there. And Jesus like, oh yeah? I'll show you hope. You give me a few people who love me. You give me a few people who believe I'm not done. You give me a few people who want to who wanna remain wearing the garments that are pure before me in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'll show you something. I'll show you something. And that's why in our day, man, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. 
Because as much as in our environment there's dead things all over the place, Jesus knows who's alive and he wants to use them. And I pray he's finding a lot of us right now in this place who are very much alive and very much wanting to spread the fire that he's given to us. I want you to see there in verses four and five, I want you to see verse four, it is dripping with the grace of the gospel. Notice, white garments, for they are worthy, they will walk with me. Okay, now notice this. You say, where's the gospel in this? Again, it's everywhere. Okay, hey, look here, look here, look here, look here, look here. We don't earn favor with God. You get that, right? The gospel is we can't earn anything. Again, that's religion. Religion's earning. Christianity is it's been given to us. It's grace. It's a gift. White garments, that's grace. White garments is Jesus Christ causes us and declares us to be justified in his sight. We are clean. That's all grace. It's not our doing, it's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says we become worthy. Now how do you and I become worthy? Because we're good, good people? Because we do good deeds? Because we go to church? As if. Anyone sin this week? Anyone sin this week? Okay, th- thank you, thank you. Really scaring me, okay? Scaring me, okay? okay? So, so we're not worthy. So how is it then that we are called worthy? Because the worthiness of Jesus Christ, praise God, hallelujah, I love the Lord. His worthiness and righteousness in salvation goes from him upon us. And our unworthiness and our sin and unrighteousness goes upon him. And all because of Christ, we then are declared worthy in the sight of God simply and fully because of everything Jesus Christ has done. I mean, that's worthy of praise, eh? He is worthy because then he calls us to be worthy. Grace, I mean, grace, I mean, just, just look at your heart long enough right now and say, I don't deserve that. I'm not worthy of that. I'm not worthy of being called worthy. Yeah, 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 but guess what? You are worthy. You are worthy by Christ and by grace. That's love. That's, that's, that's awesome. And then it says in verse four, he says, and I will walk with them. Really? Jesus, you'll walk with us? And, and, and you will walk with me, Jesus says. It's amazing. You know, you're, you're sitting down right now in a seat in this place, and you've got someone beside you, but please, you must, you, you must know spiritually Jesus sits beside you. And as you walk out of this church building today, and you walk out, Jesus walks with you. And as you get into your car, Jesus is there with you. I would, I would encourage you to let him drive. He's probably better at it than you are, right? And, <laughs> And wherever, wherever you are, Jesus, Jesus is with you. And he promises that we will walk with him. It, it's just astounding. And listen, we're going to hear this in a second. He will walk with us right into glory. And then he will stand before the Father and he will confess our name. The gospel is unreal. The gospel is unreal. Seemingly unbelievable to think that a God would be so filled with so much love and grace that he would extend to us sinners, unworthy sinners, such titles of love and grace and forgiveness and blessing. You know, in the gospel, only, I believe, is unpacked further in verse five. And we see here in verse five, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life and I will confess his name before my father, before the angels. For those who are saved by faith, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, here's what you need to know here today. The first thing is this. You need to know that you are clothed in white. That you are clothed in white. Okay, if you are here today and you are saved, you are clothed in white. Again, verse five, um, 
They will be clothed thus in white garments. White garments is holiness and purity. It's the promise of glory. All because of Jesus Christ. Zechariah tells us that we, we get our filthy rags taken off of us and we get robes of righteousness from the Lord. Just, 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 just picture, what kind of clothing were you wearing spiritually before Jesus Christ? Gross, man. It stunk. It was it's just gross and sin. All the sin. And what did that attire look like? It was awful. Wretched. So ugly. And Jesus is like, I want every piece. I want every piece. All your, all your disgusting clothing. And I will give you and I will give you garments of, of perfection and garments of holiness and garments of purity that will never, ever be taken from you because you are declared innocent in my sight. If you are here today and you are saved by grace, by grace, through faith, you are clothed in white. Secondly, this, that your name is, is in the book. Jesus says, and I will never, I will never blot his name out of the book of life. There's a, a book of life. You need to know that. It's, it's real. There's a book, and it will be opened in the day of judgment, and it will be referenced. We learned in this series from Revelation 20, this is the book of life. If our names are not in there, then we'll be thrown into the lake of fire. The difference of your name being in or out is the difference between heaven and hell. But when we know our names are written in the book of life, this should be our greatest joy. Loved ones, if your name's written in the book of life, there's really nothing else we need in this life. That's the gospel. That's the power of the truth of the gospel. So, some of us are here today and we're sad about our finances. I get that. Some of us are here today and we're sad about our health. I get that. Some of us are here today and we're sad about our status at work. Our work environment, the way we're treated by our boss. Some of us are here today and we're sad because Christmas holidays are not working out the way we thought they would. Okay, I get that too. But, but, when you know that your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life, that truth should crush all sense of self-pity. When you know that your name is in the Lamb's book of life, everything, okay, when, you're, when, you're, when you're there and you're before the Lord and you're clothed in white and you know your name's written in the book, okay? okay? You're not thinking about Christmas holidays and how they worked out in 2015, okay? You're not thinking about, you know, oh, how do my finances work out back then? You just, that doesn't matter anymore. That's not even cares. Again, again, the only thing, there'll be a lot of people standing there saying, man, I wish I didn't think about money so much in Christmas holidays and my work, and my, I wish I thought about Jesus more. And you'll be there saying, by the grace of God, Jesus is with me. He is walking beside me, and I am clothed in white. My name is in the book, and check this out. This is going to happen too. This is going to happen. And Jesus will confess your name before the Father. Okay, now, now that makes me want to cry in a good way. Look at verse five. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. That blows me away. What does that look like? I don't know, but it's gonna be awesome. So Jesus walks with us. He promises, I'll with you always. He walks with us through life. He walks with us through death. He walks with us in glory. And he walks with us. And in some form, in some way, He's going to stand before the Father and the angels and you will be standing beside him and he will say, Father, I acknowledge, I acknowledge Robbie. I acknowledge Bob. I acknowledge Susan. I, I acknowledge Sandra. I, I acknowledge him to you, Father. 
That's the gospel. Jesus promises to confess us before his Father. But the key is, is that if we don't confess Jesus, then he doesn't confess us. If we don't acknowledge Jesus, then he doesn't acknowledge us before his Father. If we are here right now, and we have not confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior, if we are here right now and we are ashamed of Jesus Christ in this world, and we will not speak his name, and we are ashamed of calling ourselves followers of Christ. And here's what Jesus says from Matthew. He says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So this is why Jesus again ends with verse 6. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And what the Holy Spirit says here today, there is no life apart from Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit says, wake up, sit up. It's time to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and he's the only one who can save me from my sins. He's the only one worth living for. He's the only one I trust. Oh Lord, I pray that you would bring life here today in this place.